Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast with me, Phil Saker. Today we're continuing our series on the book of Genesis. We're looking at the end of the the flood story, the God's covenant with Noah, Genesis chapter 9 verses 1 to 17. You might like to have a read of the passage on your phone or, or in a Bible before listening to the sermon. And just to remind you that there is more content available on YouTube. Um, I'm currently doing a series called Firm Foundations. And this last week we started thinking about the covenant of grace, about Jesus the Redeemer and all that God has done in choosing us and uh, bringing us to salvation. So do have a look on YouTube. That's only available, I'm afraid, on video format. If you appreciate the work of Understand the Bible and you'd like to support it, there are ways of doing that as well. And there's a whole page down below which you can find just to talk about how you can support us as well. So thanks so much everyone for listening. I hope that you appreciate and enjoy the sermon and I look forward to seeing you again soon. God bless. So uh, over the last few weeks we've been looking at, um, well, looking through Genesis and then two weeks ago we looked at the flood and we saw how the flood was, if you like, God kind of wiping the slate clean and starting again. But it's not exactly starting again. You know, this is a new start. And you may have noticed as we were reading through some of the, the parallels, the echoes in this passage from how things were at the beginning of Genesis. But things are not the same. And I think we need to be attentive to the way that things are not the same as well as the way uh, that things are the same. Because you know, Noah was, it was living in a different world to how things were back in the Garden of Eden. And how, how that is helps us to think about how, how we should live and how we should be as well. So there are really two parts, two sort of sections from this passage, which I want to, to talk about. The first one is there in verses one to seven. And um, I, I think this is a section because you can see there in verse one, it says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And then it's repeated again in verse seven, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. So it's sort of like the bookends of this, of this little section. And you may notice immediately there that that is a, an echo from uh, chapter one. That's what we've already seen God say to, uh, to, to, to people, to Adam and Eve. Um, and uh, that's one of the similarities there. So Genesis uh, chapter 1, verse 28, uh, God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, and to rule over the fish and, and, and so on. So that's just God saying basically what he already said to mankind way back in the Garden of Eden. God is saying the same thing to Noah. So the, the commission is still the same. There is other, another um, similarity, which is, uh, it says in verse 6, um, in the image of God has God made mankind. And again, that's just echoing the language of Genesis chapter 1, isn't it? You know, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. So we see that the, the commission is the same and it, it still kind of talks about mankind being made in the image of God. But there are some differences. And I think it's the differences which actually um, lead us into what this passage is about. The differences. Uh, it says in verse 2, The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth, 
uh, and the, the birds and, and every creature and the fish, they are given into your hands. Fear and dread. Now that wasn't way back in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. It says to, God said to rule and have dominion, but the fear and dread is, is a new thing. And I think this is the reality of living in a post-fall world, living in a fallen world where sin is in the world and it's under God's curse, that there isn't harmony in the natural world. And actually that, you know, that, that in a sense, this was a necessary step to prevent the world descending into chaos and anarchy, which is uh, what was beginning to happen before the flood, wasn't it? Um, last year, I read, um, you know, George Orwell's classic book, Animal Farm. Don't know if you've ever, ever read that book, but about how, um, uh, it, I didn't read it at school, actually. A lot of, a lot of my um, compatriots read it at school, but um, it's about a farm which gets taken over by animals and the animals sort of overthrow the human, um, you know, the uh, owner of the farm. That's how it begins. It's not, not really about that, but um, yeah. I think that's kind of quite a humorous take on it, but, but actually, you know, that there isn't the harmony between humans and the, the natural world as there was because of the curse of the fall. So things needed to work differently. And God says in verse 3, everything that lives and moves about will be food for you. Just as I gave you the green plants, I now give you everything. So this is one difference from the way that things were in Genesis chapter 1. In chapter 1 verse um, 29, God says, I give you all of the seed-bearing plants for food. But here, he gives everything for food. Now, why is that? Why is it now that he gave human beings animals for food? And I think there, there are a couple of reasons that, that I can think of. I mean, it doesn't really specify I think one reason might be because of the curse, it was actually more difficult for human beings to, to grow crops and more difficult to actually farm the land and to produce enough food. So perhaps this is actually a concession by God to say, you know, you would starve if this wasn't the case, you know, because um, meat is very nutritious, isn't it? You know, it's, a, it's an important part of our diet um, today. And so perhaps this is God's a concession to them saying, I don't want you to starve. I want you to, to actually to, to, to survive. But also, I wonder, you know, we know that death only came into the world for human beings as a result of the fall. And I wonder if that was the case for animals as well. You know, that actually um, animals were not dying before the fall either. Uh, I think that, that could be an implication of it. And, uh, and if that's the case, then obviously eating meat wouldn't have been possible. And what's significant about that? I, I, I think this is one of those things where actually eating meat is, in some ways, it's, it's both a reminder of the fall, isn't it? But it's also, I think, in some ways, a picture of the gospel in that as we are eating meat, we are remembering that something else had to die to bring us our food. And we are reminded that something else dying keeps us alive. And that is very much thinking about what happens in the New Testament, isn't it, about with Jesus. Something else had to die for us to live. And um, it's, it, I just find it interesting, you know, that, um, so this is a little bit of a, an excursion. Well, I do find it interesting how 
today, in, in today's world, we have such a, a strange relationship, I think, with animals. Um, the, on the one hand, you have the um, veganism seems to be being promoted a lot. And I don't quite understand the reasons for, for all of it. Um, but it's, it seems to be promoted beyond, you know, the, the, the way that it's, um, you know, it, it's benefits, I suppose. I don't know what the motivation is for that. Um, and I think this from Genesis wouldn't, uh, would say, you know, there is something, God has given us everything for food. At the same time, uh, it doesn't give any place for animal cruelty. And, you know, we have to say, you know, it's between those two extremes, isn't it? You know, God has given these things for food, but it is not a place for, for animal cruelty. And uh, I think we have to, uh, to say that, you know, everything is made by God and we are stewards. That's just kind of a little excur excursion, really, just something maybe for you to, to think about later and for us to, to chat about. Um, so then it, it moves on and it says, verses uh, four to six, you must not eat meat that has its lifeblood still in it. And for your lifeblood, I will surely demand an accounting. And through the Old Testament, through the Bible, blood is significant when it comes to, uh, to life. You know, blood is, is life. And that is a very significant thing. And you think about what it says when we take the bread and the wine. And Jesus says, this is my blood, which is given for you. And the life that he gave uh, for us. And this is why God says, uh, I will demand an accounting for the life of, of a human being, whether that be from humans or animals. And um, so he says, for example, in the law, in uh, Exodus chapter 21, uh, he says, uh, Exodus 21 verse 28, if a bull gores a man or woman to death, the bull is to be stoned to death and its meat must not be eaten. So this is, you know, if a, an animal kills a human being as well, that is to be, an account will be taken. And that is because human beings are different. You know, we are made as human beings in the image of God. And that is a special thing, that's a unique thing. And that's something which has remained even after the fall. We are still all made as human beings in the image of God. So the next, uh, the second half of this passage, um, that was the sort of the commission, which is, is different because of the living in this different post-fall kind of a world, post-flood world. And then there's a new covenant that God makes. And he says in verses 9 and 10, I establish now my, my covenant with you and with your descendants after you and with every living creature that was with you, uh, every living creature on earth. So it's a covenant made with every living thing. Our covenant is quite an important word in, in the Bible, especially in the Old Testament. What is a covenant? A covenant is it's basically a promise. It's a promise made with responsibilities on the, the part of the person who makes the promise and with corresponding duties on the, the part of the one the promise is made to. And as we go through Genesis, we'll see examples of other covenants uh, that God makes. Uh, one example of a covenant which we still have today is, is marriage. Marriage is, is a covenant. It's a promise. You, know, you stand up in church and you say, I promise, you know, will you love um, X, Y and Z? 
and, uh, and they promise as well. And it's, there are corresponding duties, aren't there? But it's not a contract. You, know, you can't just walk away from it when it's inconvenient for you. And that's the difference between a covenant and a contract. So what is this covenant? Uh, God says, I will uh, never again uh, flood the earth. Never again will there be a flood to destroy the earth. It says that twice in verses 11 and then verse 15. Saying, never again will there be a flood as there has been to destroy all life on earth. And then uh, he gives a sign. And he mentioned this quite a few times, a sign. Verses 12, 13, 14 and 16. It's a sign. And it's a sign which is the rainbow. And God says, when you look up and see the rainbow, this will be a sign of the covenant. Never again to flood the earth. It's kind of ironic about what the, what the rainbow has come to mean, hasn't it? Um, unfortunately, it's come to mean um, and represent uh, immorality in, in, in many ways in the world, rather than actually um, you know, what, what God intended it to mean. But we won't get into that now. But what's interesting about this covenant is that there are no conditions to it. It is just a promise. It is just a promise. It's just about God, his promise and, and his grace. This is just what God promises to do. And God has kept his promise, hasn't he? You know, we still see the rainbow today. And never again has there been a flood to date since, since this time, which has um, been catastrophic in, in that way. You know, God has kept his promise. So I know that this is, in some ways, it's kind of a slightly odd passage, isn't it? You know, it's, 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 it's difficult to kind of think, well, what, what does this mean? Let me suggest a couple of things which we can, uh, which we can take from this. The first thing is to recognise that we are living in a post-fall and post-flood world. And that means that we do need to do things differently. And by that, I mean, I think some people still think that we're living in the Garden of Eden and act almost as if we are living in the Garden of Eden. I was, just as I, I um, was preparing for this, the, the verse that came to me was uh, what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And I think what Jesus meant was we need to recognise the reality of the world around us. No, we need to recognise that not everything is perfect, that people are sinful, and that we need to do things differently. You know, we're not in the Garden of Eden, that we do need to do things differently. So let me give you an example of, of what I think the problem can lead to. I think one of the greatest evils from the 20th century was utopianism, which was basically trying to say we can make everything perfect if we just get the right government in place or the right politics in place, the right, the right authorities. We'll make everything perfect that way. And I think that led to some very great evils uh, happening. And I think it's still today, particularly with younger people, still seem to have this view that we'll make everything right if we just get the government to do this, that or the other. And I think what this says actually is that we need to take the world as it is 
not the world as we would like it to be. And we need to deal with the realities of human nature. Now, if God needed to, not quite the right word, but if God needed to adapt, if you like, after the fall, how much more do we? And I think what that means is we mustn't put too much trust in any individual. You know, people can let us down. Governments can let us down. There must be accountability. There must be uh, not putting too much faith in any person, any group, any human to actually solve anything. As Lord Acton once said, power corrupts. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think that's the message from this, that you know, we must recognise the realities of the human heart now that we are living in a post-fall, post-flood world. We need to remember that the root of all of the problems in the world is sin. The root of all of the problems in the world is sin. And that the solution to that is not going to be uh, formed by governments or by education or by any of those things, as good as they may be. But actually there is only one solution that we have, and that is Jesus Christ. And that's something that comes all the way through, isn't it? That you see the problems of sin all through Genesis so far. We've seen that, the evils of the human heart laid bare. But God has made a solution for that. And we'll get on to to Abraham, we'll get on to the promise and the covenant that God made with him. But the solution is not ultimately found in human beings, but it is found in Jesus to those problems. And the, the final thing I wanted to 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 mention is that we can trust God to keep his covenant and his promises and I'm mindful of that actually I mean every time I see a rainbow and you do I've seen a few of them actually recently you know it's been sunny and it's been rainy and then you see the rainbow and you every time we see the rainbow I think we should say to ourselves God keeps his promises God keeps his promises and it should be a reminder not just of this covenant but of every of every promise that God that God has made in the Bible when I was baptized I was given a, um, a picture and um, the picture has this verse on it this is uh, Hebrews chapter 10 verse 23 Hebrews 10 23 which says let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful He who promised is faithful. And I think above all, that is the message of Genesis, isn't it? That actually God is the one who keeps his promises. That what did we deserve as humanity for turning away from him? And yet God is the one who rescues Noah, saves them through judgment, and promises never to flood the earth again, but instead sends a saviour who will bring us and redeem us from the sinful state where we find ourselves as a result of the fall. God is faithful to his promises and we can trust in him at all times, everywhere and in every circumstance. We can trust in him. So let's close with a prayer. Heavenly Father, we uh, thank you for this passage and we pray that you would help us, um, as uh, Jesus says, to be as wise as serpents, but as innocent as doves, living in the realities of the world that you have made 
which is under, under the curse. We pray that you would help us to be uh, just attuned to the, the realities of the human heart. But we also pray, Lord, that you would give us a confidence and a trust in your promises, knowing that you are always faithful and knowing that you are the one who uh, stepped in to rescue by sending the Lord Jesus to, to die for us. So we pray that you would uh, help us, Lord, to learn the lessons that you want us to take as we go through Genesis. And we ask this in your name. Amen.